Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Au, a VC, founder, and father. Mondays for no BS commentary on the latest startup news with Shuyen Ko, managing partner of Hustle Fund. Thursdays for in-depth interviews of changemakers across the region, sharing about the highs and lows of their lives. Join us and over 10,000 subscribers at www.bravesea.com for transcripts, analysis, and community. Last week, I was walking around the reservoir with a technical founder and CEO. He's an incredible engineer, and we were discussing the impact of AI on the future. I also received a newsletter that I finally got around to reading called Chin AI, which I recommend, written by Jeffrey Ding. The article talks about their view on AI and military, especially in the context of the US and China you know, arms race. What I really got away from the article was that, first of all, I think there's a lot of hype and speculation about how AI is really going to change weapon systems and is going to be a very immediate effect. However, the point of view is that from an economist perspective, artificial intelligence is very much similar to the release of electricity as a science and technology, as well as a distribution platform. And so their point of view is that, you know, even though the breakthroughs in deep learning happened in the early 2010s, and of course have become very popular in the early 2022s, the truth is that this extended trajectory of adoption could really last all the way until the 2050s or the 2060s. This was really important because, you know, I think even in the walk with the founder, we had this conversation about whether it was really too late for AI, right? Whether it was too late to build a startup in AI and it felt like there's no economic mode and there's no future to it. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, I think if AI was like a very quick model, like, for example, business model like Uber for deliveries, right? Or Uber for hotels. I think there's a business model that's very fast to spread, but also very fast to be copied. I think when it comes to artificial intelligence, there's a little bit of that awkward dynamic here where there's actually much more research to be done, much more implementation and much more distribution needs to be done. The second part it talks about was very much about how there's a US-China gap. And of course, everyone's talking about how as if China's going to crush it. But I think what was interesting was that the article argues that actually China does not have the same in defense industrial base and is still catching up in terms of the civil military fusion. And what that means is that it doesn't have startups in defense the same way as Palantir and Enduril. In fact, China didn't even allow non-governmental capital into national defense industries until 2005. That's a big difference since Silicon Valley was actually very much subsidized uh, in partnership and effectively accelerated the U.S. military technologies, right? In fact, that's why it was all co-located with the military bases and DAPA, for example, and in California, especially with the academic-industrial-military funding that was really available to kickstart basic R&D, as well as, honestly, distribution, manufacturing, and even just purchase orders needed to know there's demand at the end of the tunnel for venture capitalists to do so. In fact, we've seen VCs, actually, like Lux Capital, succeed because they made that bet to say that one day the U.S. Defense industry is going to really require startups that are thinking innovatively 
And as a result, even though defense tech is a lot of hardware, technically takes a long time to build, and of course, it's very lumpy in terms of capital and therefore very risky for startups historically as a hardware-governmental buyer startup. This is still very much doable in the US, especially when you are in the defense zones like Silicon Valley. The last thing that inspired me, of course, was that the article talks about how AI technology, for example, is really being built primarily in the US and China. And so they believe that all these advantages are not necessarily going to accumulate, for example, in just the weapon systems like manufacturing, but would also really accumulate in logistics, in encryption, in communication, in coordination. And that got me thinking about the differential AI industry build out in each country, right? And so, for example, even though Russia, for example, is normally seen as a very strong world power, especially in arms, unfortunately, it has a very weak AI system because so many researchers have left the country, as well as them not really investing in, you know, artificial intelligence as well, compared to China and America. And so I think there's a point of view which is basically implying that Russia is going to lag behind over time as AI percolates into military systems. That's also, I think, really true, actually, for not just US, China, and Russia, but also for the rest of the emerging world, right? So you look at India, you look at Singapore, you look at Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Philippines, you know, there's not a strong AI fundamental industrial base, right? And so there's going to be an interesting dynamic where the new weapon systems of the future are going to be driven by some sort of the AI competencies and some countries are going to be better positioned to push that through than others and so i think there's an interesting implication about how southeast asia would absorb ai technology into military the other thing that was actually quite interesting was that it also implied that the linkage primarily in the past has been between military and hardware engineers and i think there's a lot of truth to that but basically it's saying that ai is a subset of obviously software engineers which is a subset of all engineers and that's actually a very different type of talent base that historically been encouraged, incentivized to build out. So what this implies to me is that there may be increasing governmental subsidies for not just engineers, not just electrical engineers, not just for software engineers, but really for AI engineers because of that belief that this is going to accelerate the military-industrial complex. Um, and it's not just obviously good for economy, not just good for academics, but also good for national security. That's going to be a very interesting fusion. And that means that there may be multiple attempts by states to really build out those AI hubs over a 20 to 30 year time frame. So might see more subsidies, might see more education, might see more you know, advocacy and championing for folks to learn AI. And what's most interesting about it is that behind it would be just not just obviously the economic and therefore it wouldn't necessarily just be subsidized by the Ministry of Education. It wouldn't just be subsidized by the Ministry of Trade and Commerce, for example, but also subsidized by the Ministry of Security, for example. All right, that's my first ever diary episode where I share about what I thought of and learned of today. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyao.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. 
Stay well and stay brave. <laughs>